Well, good morning, church family. You know, brothers and sisters are a gift from the Lord. You might not think that after hearing that story, but they are. And so if, if you have siblings, I, I hope that you don't take that relationship for granted. Whether you be young or older, don't take that relationship for granted. Let me encourage you to pursue strong and solid relationships with your, your siblings, with your brothers and your sisters. I had the privilege just a couple of weeks ago of spending a week with my three brothers. Um, we, we've certainly all spent time together, but it's always been with families, you know, and kids and everything else. I don't know that we, the four of us had ever been able to get together and spend a week together, and that was just a, a real joy. I, I grew to appreciate them uh, in deeper ways. Well, last week, we, we, we understand that Joseph, we understood that Joseph had some real problems with his brothers. Um, in fact, he had been rejected by his brothers, and we saw why. It really came down to jealousy and, and bitterness and unforgiveness. But in our text this morning, we're going to actually see uh, this, the, these feelings taken in, 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 in full fruition. We're going to see some high drama as Joseph is actually assaulted and abused by his brothers. And, and so in, in this text that, that our, our brother and, and Pastor Bart just read for us, um, I actually see three acts, as it were. So uh, this is high drama. Um, I mean, there's, there, 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 there's a lot of emotion going on here, uh, uh, different characters going on. And, and I see three acts, and so we're going to kind of look at this sermon in Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. And so the first act is that of Joseph seeking his brothers, him, Joseph seeking after his, his brothers. And we see that here in verses 12 through 17. So let me invite you to go back to, to verse 12 with me. We read that now his brothers went to pasture their, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, that would be Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. Now, as we look at those intro verses, let, let's think about a couple things. First of all, distance. All right? Well, where is Shechem in relation to where uh, uh, Joseph's family had been living? They were in the valley of Hebron. And so Shechem was about 50 miles north of Hebron. So assuming that Joseph was traveling by foot, and I think that's a fair uh, assumption, that we're talking probably about a four to five day journey to get up there, to check on his brothers, okay? So let's think not only about distance, but let's think about danger for a moment here, okay? Um, back in Genesis 34, we, we read that that Joseph's older brothers, Simeon and Levi, had actually massacred the men of Shechem and had plundered their land, meaning their livestock and even their families, in the recent past as an act of revenge for the rape of their sister Dina by a guy whose name actually was Shechem, who was the son of Hamor, the prince of the land. So, it's normal to imagine that Jacob may have had some concerns about the safety 
of his sons up at Shechem. Now, it's possible they had some servants. Certainly, there was a bunch of them. And frankly, when you read the story in Genesis 34, they had taken out the men. So there weren't a whole lot of men left, but these men have relatives. Um, Shechem may not have been the safest place for Jacob's sons, but for whatever reasons, they were up there. They had a a, a, a very large, their, their wealth had increased, a very large flocks. Um, likely that was some good feeding ground. Um, but it's normal to imagine Jacob had concerns about the safety of his sons, and it even mentions their flock up in Shechem. Now, Joseph was 17 years old, so it's a little bit hard to understand Jacob's rationale in sending his favorite son alone on a journey up there to check on them. All right? Now, we do see here that Jacob was, was wearing his father's fabulous coat. And so I, I think it, it is fair to imagine that his father would have seen Jacob, uh, would have seen Joseph as his representative and expected people thus to respect him. In other words, you mess with my son, wearing the, the garments of a firstborn, you're, you're messing with me. And, and, and all, uh, you know, all of my power and resources will come against you if you touch my son, right? Um, and, and so especially, Joseph um, wasn't especially loved by his brothers. Jacob understood that. But especially he would have expected his other sons, no matter how much they might resent Joseph, to respect Joseph as his son, wearing this coat that would have represented, in a sense, the, the, um, the, the rights of a firstborn, okay? Uh, the, 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 the rights of his, of his dad's honor. Now, as, 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 you're, as you're thinking about this story, I wonder if, if your mind uh, has, has run to Jesus' parable of the wicked vine dressers. And I wonder when Jesus, if Jesus, when he told that story, was actually thinking of, of, of this one here. But one thing is for sure. Jacob trusted Joseph entirely. This was a trustworthy son. And so this was no small journey or task that, that Jacob called Joseph to. And we see his response. He simply says, here I am. And what, a, what an example here of, of faithfulness. Um, his immediate reaction to his dad's request is, is yes, sir, I'm on it. Pastor Vodi Bakum called Joseph's response the epitome of obedience. Now, it's interesting here that when, Jake, when Joseph left his father from the valley of Hebron, which was in the land of Canaan, that, that, that which God had promised, this land that God had promised to Abraham, Joseph set off on this journey. He would never return home. All the days of his life, he would never return home. But his bones would. You know, 400 years later, his bones were returned with the children of Israel after the exodus. And, and prophetically, some of his last wishes were that his bones would be carried back to Palestine. And for that fact, Joseph is mentioned in Hebrews' great faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, which we covered just a couple months ago, which says, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. And we'll, we'll get into some of that a little bit later in a, in a couple months when we get to the very end of, of Genesis, why that was such a big deal to Joseph. But at this point, as he is leaving his father in the valley of Hebron, 
he, he, he was not going to come back from this journey. And so in verse 14, we read, So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So that was his assignment, to check on his brothers and to bring back word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. Now again, the, the picture I have here is Joseph has, has been on this journey for four or five days, right, by foot. Um, and yeah, there's, a, there's, there's flocks and brothers, but I mean, you know, there's no GPS, there's no cell phones. Um, he, is, he is diligently ser- searching for kind of a, a needle in a haystack here, wandering through the fields looking for them. Talk about, again, faithfulness here, right? And, and the man uh, asks him, what are you seeking? And it's a good thing that this was a person of peace. It certainly could have been somebody um, who didn't have such a friendly disposition, um, particularly with the history that we just mentioned in, from Genesis chapter 34. And here's, here's Joseph's response. And I, I'll tell you, this kind of gets me emotionally a little bit. But he says, I am seeking my brother's. You get the idea here that Joseph is optimistically naive about his brother's true hatred towards him. You know, I mean, he, he knew that they got angry. He knew they were jealous. But you get this idea that, that he loved them. And, and so he assumed that their love for him was greater than their anger. Of course they get over it. I mean, they're brother. We're brothers. And so he was diligently searching the fields for his brothers. I mean, certainly if, if he had had any um, hesitation or desire to, to not fulfill this mission, he could have gotten to, sh- to, to Shechem, taken a look, said they're not here, and turned around and gone home. And he would have been faithful to his dad's mission. But instead he searches for his brothers. And so he says to this man, tell me, please, where are they pastoring the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Now, this isn't Dothan, Alabama, uh, up the street. This is, this is Dothan, uh, I'm sure where the city got its name, um, at, which was another 15 miles or so, another long day hike away, okay? So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them at Dothan. Now, what a, again, what a great example of going the extra mile. He was faithful to his mission. Joseph diligently sought out his brothers. And we're going to come back to this theme here um, at the end of our message here as we think about another hero, the, the true hero, that would be Jesus, who faithfully executed the mission that his father sent him on to seek after brothers and by extension, sisters. So we're going to come back to that thought. Hold that thought. But let's move on to Act 2. Joseph faithfully sought his brothers. And Act 2 is that Joseph suffers abuse at the hand of his brothers. Joseph suffers abuse, verses 18 through 28. Now Joseph, we know, showed up on the scene with good motives, with good intent, to check up on his brothers, to bring word back to his dad. In fact, it's likely 
understanding this culture that Joseph likely was bearing some gifts, probably food items that his stepmother Leah would have put together, kind of a care package for his brothers, probably dates and probably other, some other treats from home that Joseph would have likely been um, uh, tempted to eat on his way that he probably delivered to his brothers. So he's probably bringing provisions for them. But here is his brother's response when they first see Joseph from a distance. Look at verse 18. They saw him far from afar. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what becomes of his dreams. Now, can you believe that? The, just the bitterness that's there that his brothers actually wanted to murder him? That was their initial and immediate instinct when they first saw his frame from afar that they recognized was murder. They were now a long way from home a long way from Jacob's protective shadow. And this is just what came out of their hearts. Now, make no mistake, if you have brothers, you know that brothers normally push each other's buttons. All right? Uh, brothers, there's nothing like a brother to spin you up pretty quick. Right? Uh, and we do that. But part of brotherhood, like the, the meaning of brotherhood, at the very end of the day is you have each other's backs. Right? Your, your love trumps all of the, all of the frustrations and, and sisterhood too. You have each other's backs and you never let anybody hurt your brother. That's just like the definition of brotherhood. You have each other's backs. And, and so here we see the opposite of that. We see this wickedness of fratricide, the, the idea of being willing to stoop so low as to, as to kill and murder a brother should serve as a warning to all of us against the sins of jealousy and bitterness. You know, kids, maybe sometimes you feel jealous of your brother or sister. I don't know if that's true for you, but you know what? These are big sins, according to the Bible. We should never think, oh, that's just normal. It's not a big deal. You know, siblings rival. Actually, Romans 13, 13 says this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. And I think we've got this on the screen um, uh, here in a second. Yes. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Now, wait a minute. Are those big sins or little sins? Those are big sins, right? Not in quarreling and jealousy. You see this? Quarreling, fighting with a brother or sister, and, and being jealous of one another is listed right here along with sexual immorality. So here's the thing. Bitterness, that sin of bitterness, which is really unforgiveness, choosing not to forgive a, a sin, whether it be big or little, and then getting fixated on it, thinking about it a lot, letting it take over you. Bitterness can take you further than you ever thought you could go. Do you know that? So I'm sure there's a time in their lives in which these brothers of Joseph would have never imagined that they could actually want to kill their brother. But bitterness got them to this point. The longer that I live my Christian life, the more I see that there's really nothing that I or you couldn't do if we give in 
to sin and let it take reign over our heart. Um, any of us are capable of even murder. We think, may think, no way, never. You know, you may look at your little brother or sisters or asleep. I could never do that. Bitterness can take you further than you ever thought you could go. And so these men were so bitter towards Joseph that their gut instinct was to take him and kill him and, and, and throw his body unburied into a pit, which in that culture was like the, the greatest indignity possible. Okay, burial was a really big deal, a really big thing. Now, one brother did indeed have Joseph's back. Look at verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. So, you know, they, at that point, they're, you know, they're, I don't know if they're going to slit his throat or just, you know, beat him to death. Um, but they, they were ready to pounce on him and murder him. And, and Reuben saw this, and he intervened, and he said, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him that he may rescue him out of their hand and restore him to their father. So Reuben's intent was to get Joseph, and he may not like Joseph very much, but Reuben, being the firstborn, did not want to dishonor his father. He really longed for his, his father's approval, and there had been a story earlier where he had lost that, and so he did, he did not want to suffer his, his, Jacob's uh, disapproval, and so his goal was to get Joseph back. And we, we're going to see in a moment here that Reuben departed the scene. Okay, so verse, verse 23. So Joseph arrives, and when he came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And, and we need to understand here that this was a violent assault. Okay, it wasn't just a, hey, hey, Joseph, uh, I want, want you to take the, the tunic off now, and then we're going to, uh, no. This was a violent assault assault that constitutes what we would, would call physical abuse on Joseph's person. The, the Hebrew word here for strip is a violent word. Okay, they were clawing at him, likely beating on him, probably to quite a pulp. It's actually used, this word strip, in other places to describe skinning an animal. So like if the, same, the same Hebrew word in, in Leviticus 1.6 is, is translated flay. I don't think they flayed his skin, but that's the idea for how violent ripping off his, his coat would have been. And so they assaulted him like a pack of wild dogs, likely beating him, scratching him, likely stripping him naked. Then we read, and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Now, this was likely a dry cistern, as, 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 as our brother Chris mentioned earlier. Okay, it's the same Hebrew word like a dry well. It would have been a, a hole in the ground that would have been deep. Uh, it would have certainly caused great injury when he was thrown in there, and it would have been a hole in the ground that he could not have crawled out of, okay? Maybe 30 feet deep. We don't know exactly, um, but we do know that, that, that after Reuben's intervention, the idea of the rest of the brothers was still murderous, all right? Their idea here, it seems, was just to leave him there. Let him, let him, let him die, from starvation or the elements or his wounds, let him die down there so they could say to themselves, hey, we didn't shed his blood. Okay, kind of a plausible deniability sort of thing. And so what do they do? They sat down to eat. Then they sat down to eat. Now just stop and think about the callousness of, of this. Likely they're eating some food that Joseph would have brought for them from their father and their mother. While he's down in the pit 
pleading for his life, crying out to them. Now, I'm not just using my imagination. 20 years later in Egypt, Joseph's brothers remembered with guilt in Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty considering our brother, that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. You see, that there was latent guilt that had been within their souls for 20 years, remembering the voices, the voice of Jacob crying out, Simeon, help me. Asher, please. Can you imagine those cries while they sit there and callously eat their lunch? Then we read in verse 25, it continues, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. And I just want to see if we have our Okay, very good. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. So this, this was a caravan of spice traders on their way to Egypt. And we see that Reuben was gone here, but another brother stepped up to actually save Joseph's life. Although there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of love lost for Joseph. Slavery was brutal. According to the Code of Hammurabi, a slave was worth 20 shekels in that day. All right, 20 shekels, which, which would have been somewhere probably, and it's hard to really um, quantify it exactly, but somewhere between maybe $200 and $250 in today's money. That's what a, a man's life was worth in that day for, for a slave. So Judah then said to his brothers, what profit is it? If we kill our brothers and conceal his blood, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt." Now, Pastor Kent Hughes describes this scene with these words. He writes, Dragged naked from the pit and tethered to a beast of burden so that he too could carry some of the freight, he began the long trek to the Nile. He had begun the day a robed prince in Israel and ended it as a slave. Joseph had a massive case for victimhood. This was nothing less than assault, and abuse. And the truth is that today there are too many victims of abuse in our own society, for sure in our world. Even here in this room we have some of you who have been victims of abuse. And and as Christians we should love people who have suffered abuse. We should weep with them. We should listen to their stories. We should advocate for them. We should pray for them. We should certainly stand against injustice, and we should demand justice for those who abuse people. But the world today tells victims that the way that you get your power back is by destroying people instead of receiving God's healing. So Pastor Hughes continues, and we're going to see this as we continue working through the 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 story here of Joseph. Joseph chose to reject 
the slavery of self-pity and victimhood. We must never allow victimhood to enslave our souls. Enslavement to victimhood is neither biblical nor Christian. Joseph's life teaches us that life is full of inequities and unfairness and tragedies, but also teaches us that we have a great God who works amidst the rich compost of human life to do His will. We must understand that as God's children, we are called to give everything to Him, even the bitter things of the past. As believers, we have been set free from the bondage of sin and of death. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. So brother, sister, if you have been wronged greatly, if you have suffered abuse from someone else, don't let that abuse define you. Forgiveness is powerful. Well, Dothan would have been a tragic memory for Joseph. Here's the question. Was God with Joseph at Dothan? Was he with Joseph in that pit? Was he with Joseph as he was tied up like an animal and dragged off into slavery? As he was betrayed and beaten and assaulted and abused by his brothers, was God with, Dothan, with, with, Jay, with, with, with Joseph at Dothan? Well, yes. We know from the rest of the story. We know from the corpus of Scripture that God was indeed with Joseph. In fact, there was actually more going on in the spiritual world than met the eye. God's providential purposes were in play to raise up Joseph as a savior for his brothers and even for the world that would point to the savior. In fact, centuries later, it was at Dothan, the very place where this happened, that God opened the eyes of someone else, the eyes of Elisha's servant, to see the unseen angelic armies around them, that they were stronger than the surrounding army of the wicked Syrians. So 2 Kings 6, 17, I believe we have this slide here. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots, of fire all around Elisha. So I wonder what Joseph would have seen in his moment of assault if God had opened his eyes to the spiritual dimensions. And I wonder, I wonder if God did. We don't know that from the story. But we do know that God often reveals his presence to people in their moment of greatest suffering. So we've seen this morning about how Jake or Joseph sought after his brothers. And we've seen how his brothers um, assaulted him, how he suffered that abuse at the hand of his brothers. And finally, we're going to see in our final act here, Jacob sobbing for his son in verse 29 through 35. Jacob sobs here for his son. But before Jacob sob, sobbed, we saw that, that Reuben sobbed. He was planning on stealthily rescuing Joseph from the pit. But when he returned, Joseph was gone. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt 
torn to pieces. And then we read about how he wept bitterly. Now here we, here we see the irony of the deceiver being deceived by his sons. You remember back when Jacob was young, he had used the skin of a goat to deceive his father, right? Into giving him the, the blessing that was supposed to be for the firstborn, for, for, for Esau. But now he is deceived by his son, by his sons, with the blood of a goat. So here we see the irony of, of this story coming full circle. And also notice here that the coat serves as a narrative link in the story, that this coat symbolized a father's love. But, but then it provoked a, 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 a brother's hatred, brother's hatred. And then finally it brought about a father's loss. And so in verse 34 and 35, we see just the genuine, absolute grief of Jacob. And we see the insincerity of these sons comforting their dad, knowing that Joseph was alive and being carted off as they spoke into slavery. But we read, Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The idea here, normally you would weep for 10 days or maybe 20 days. The father's saying, I'm, I'm going to weep for the rest of my life for Joseph. Now here we have a postscript to our drama, okay, to this high drama. Verse 36. Meanwhile, as, as, as Jacob has, has gotten this horrific um, word and is grieving, we read, meanwhile, the Midianites who were the Ishmaelites, it was a subset of Ishmaelites, okay, the same group of people here, these, these spice traders, had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And I'd like to invite you to turn a page in your Bible as we consider this postscript. Turn to Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 and 2. As the story continues, we have a parenthesis here of, of Genesis chapter uh, 38. Um, it, it, some people have struggled to see, how does this belong here, Genesis chapter 38? It's really not tied to the story of Joseph. Um, let me just say that, that this is uh, a, a key chapter to understanding the whole big picture of Genesis. Uh, liberals like to say, see, it doesn't really belong here. Um, uh, it, it is R-rated, okay? Um, and, 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 but they're like, look, you know, this must have been a later insertion. Well, actually, I, I, would, I would just note that at the very end of chapter 37, you see Potiphar, and then you see here a clear marker at the very beginning of 39, Potiphar, okay? The, the writers clearly had a reason, Moses clearly had a reason for 38 being here. Um, we'll get into that later, I'll, I'll probably, as we talk about Judah's progression. Uh, but Judah is a total scoundrel in Genesis chapter 38, um, and, and we'll see how there was a, a point later in this chapter. Now, we're not going to cover it, not because it's R-rated. All, all Scripture is inspired and profitable, but it's not material to the story of, of Joseph, which is what we're working on here as we go through this. So we're going to pick up next week in chapter 39. But I just want us to think about Joseph here as we end our sermon and as we look at chapter 39. Now, Joseph, verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, 
an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So what we see here is that through the drastic ups and downs of his life, even in his hard condition, Joseph was constant because he had a relationship with God. And as, as we look at, at what happened in Genesis chapter 39 next week, and we consider his temptation uh, at, 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 from, from Potiphar's wife and how he resisted that temptation, okay, we're going to see why he was able to maintain integrity, not just because he was a man of integrity. There is no such thing other than Jesus as a man of integrity, right? Nobody has perfect integrity. All are, all are sinners. But we'll see that it hit the integrity that he showed came from his relationship with God. And so Joseph was able to be constant, whether he was up or whether he was down. Even as a slave, he remembered and believed God's word to him in that dream. Remember that dream that he had naively shared with his family members that had cost him so much trouble. He believed God's word to him in that dream that God had a plan to use him and to lift him up. And that may be another reason the Lord had given him that dream as a 17-year-old, was to give him hope, even through the hardship, that he was sovereign and was doing something in his life. And so jo Joseph was constant, but, but this week, Chris Treadway and I were talking about this, this, this theme, and he reminded me that not only was Joseph constant with God, but God was constant with Joseph, despite his hard condition. God was working in Joseph's life. Do you believe that? God had him in a place to be developed because he had some growing to do in hardship into a savior for two nations to preserve the bloodline of Christ through his father Joseph and through his brother Judah. So what does that mean for you? Well, maybe you are in the valley of the shadow of death right now. Maybe you're struggling. Do you know that God is with you there? That he loves you? That he is working all things for your good? Might not make sense to you, but you don't have the whole picture, but you, you have the very word that he wants you to know. You have the truths of Romans 8 that we looked at last week. That he is preparing you through the fire and the hardships to be an effective tool for his glory. Fire hurts, but fire refines instruments. You know, Jesus knows what it is like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I want to leave you with that thought this morning as we conclude. Jesus knows what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He walked through it on his rescue mission. Jesus said, he gave us his purpose statement in, in Luke 19.10. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So, so go back with me for a moment in your mind to that first point where Joseph said, honestly, maybe a little bit naively, optimistically, I am, I am seeking after my brothers. I am seeking after my brothers. Well, you know what? That's what Jesus did. Jesus sought his brothers. 
And Jesus suffered for doing so. He showed up on the scene as the righteous Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but his own people, his own brethren, cried out, crucify him. That was the response. In fact, he too was stripped of his robe, and he too was beaten and was abused. We read about this before it even happened when we go back to Isaiah 53. We often remember this around Easter. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so Jesus, his soul actually descended into the pit of hell to pay the price for our sins. I believe that this happened while he was actually hanging on the cross. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His soul had descended to the pit of hell. He was actually taking the very wrath of God that we deserved in in our place, paying the price for our sins. And so that's the the beautiful truth of 2 Corinthians 5.21, that, that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in so many ways, Joseph points us to our true hero, Jesus. But unlike Joseph, Jesus knew what was coming when he embarked on his mission to seek and to save brothers. And he did it anyway. He sought after us to make us his brothers and his sisters through faith. See, Jesus came to make enemies brothers. We read in Mark 3, 35 that Jesus, was, Jesus said, you want to know who my brothers and my sisters are and my mother? Whoever does the will of God. They, that is my brother and my sister and mother. So Jesus did all of this. He gets all the thanks, all the praise, and all the glory for our salvation. And I hope that that encourages you this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your faithful Son into this world to seek and to save us. Us uh, human beings who who would have acted like Joseph's brothers, uh, enemies of your Son, and yet he gave himself for us. He, He died on that cross for our sins, and it was our sins that held him there. And Lord, we thank you that we are no longer enemies through faith, Because of your grace, Lord, we thank you that you have adopted us as your children and made us brothers of Christ. So, Lord, help us live this week um, with with a disposition towards Jesus of great love and and trust uh, as our big brother who gave himself for us. I pray in his name. Amen.